Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hello and welcome to this NHS Employers podcast. I'm Lisa Atkin and I'm the programme lead for Think Brighter. Think Brighter is a programme of work that aims to consider the challenges currently facing the NHS and the implications that these in turn have for the workforce. We're all aware that the NHS is currently facing an expansive period of change. There's a need to move towards seven day working, we need to ensure better integration of services and we want to fulfil the ambition of delivering first class compassionate patient centred care. In meeting these challenges, the workforce is arguably the most important asset that the NHS has at its disposal. As a consequence, we need to look at ways that we can better support our workforce to respond to change. To meet this massive efficiency and productivity challenge, we need to develop new ways of working. In a nutshell, I suppose, we need to work smarter, we need to think brighter. Now, we're all aware that the many challenges facing the NHS are not unique to healthcare. They also exist across other sectors. It's also interesting to consider what we can learn from other sectors and look outside of the NHS to gain a bit of a different perspective. So, to consider a different perspective, today I'm joined by a very special guest, Johnny Mitchell, who's the headmaster of Thornhill Community Academy in Dewsbury. Now, you may remember Johnny from the TV series Educating Yorkshire that aired back in the autumn of last year. So, welcome, Johnny, and thank you very much for joining me today. So, for the benefit of our listeners, could you perhaps give us just a quick overview of your role at the school and last year's show? Yeah, I don't know if that will be a quick overview. Uh, Obviously, the show would take quite a lot of time to go into great detail about. I mean, my role is, is pretty much as it says, I'm the head teacher. I'm basically in charge of the staff. I'm basically in charge of the kids. And um, whether I like it or not, I'm basically in charge of the parents and the community as well, because basically anything that goes on within a five mile radius of here, I get the blame for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, um, it's it's a responsibility that I take very openly and, uh, you know, very much at prima facie and know that um, the school really does sit at the heart of the community. And if things are going on around here, we need to know what they are so we can better support everybody. Uh, my main responsibility is to make sure standards are raised, to make sure that kids leave this school with the very best outcomes academically and socially uh, and that hopefully they all move on to the next stage in their academic or other career uh, with the best qualifications and the best grounding possible if you like so that you can perhaps see the school as a bit of a platform for their future developments so uh, that's what we strive towards all the time. Obviously we wanted to show how good we were uh, and when the opportunity came up from the producers uh, from Channel 4 and uh, 2 for Productions to make a documentary, we pretty much jumped at the chance and thought this is, this could be a massive opportunity for us to profile the school, to profile the area. I'm Jewish because I'm Jewsby born and bred as well, so I have a massive vested interest. Uh, and hopefully to show um, Yorkshire in a really positive light, which is not always the case in the wider national media. So... Um, you know, it was a roller coaster of a ride. It was stressful at times. It was hectic. We had people running around like men made a band. Uh, but ultimately, it served pretty much most of the uh, most of the uh, the intentions that we had at the beginning. 
That's fantastic. It sounds like a really positive thing yeah, to do. It's been and, one of the best adventures of our life. And, yeah. and what would you say the reaction to that has, has been? The reaction's been uh, nothing short of phenomenal, really. I mean, people do forget sometimes that we do have a day job, that Monday to Friday and often at weekends and often during holidays uh, and often evenings, very late, people are working very hard planning and preparing and writing documents and doing paperwork and speaking on the phone and going to prof high-profile meetings. Um, but on top of all that, you know, uh, students as well as staff have been invited to go and speak at conferences, to go and address groups of students at universities across the country rather than just locally. But also we've been asked to do, you know, some slightly more bizarre things uh, like, you know, go and open supermarkets and things like that, which I'm, 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 I'm glad to announce we've turned down because it's really not what we're about. We're not celebrities, as it were. We're... We've had a little bit of celebrity, but we've got our day jobs and, you know, we, we're, we're all pretty passionate about those. That's fantastic, Johnny. Really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see a lot of parallels, I suppose, between, you know, what you're doing in education and, and the challenges that we face in, in the, the health care sector. So hopefully we can explore some of those yeah, um, yeah, in a bit more detail yeah. today. Mm -hmm. Um, so I suppose, my, I mean, my first question will be, what what were the main challenges that you faced when you took over as headmaster at the academy? Um, I think, well, challenge number one was always going to be making my own mark because you walk into an organisation where you've you've not worked before. You know, I, I've had experience in three other schools in different roles. This was my first headship, so I was completely new to the role, never mind the school. Um, and it, it, it's basically winning people over. Uh, it's basically making sure that the, the vision, the values, your philosophy, your ethos can be understood uh, and can be acted upon by all. And, you know, some people are very entrenched in their views. Some people are very set in their ways. They don't like change. I don't think generally people do like change. I think there's the, uh, there's an autistic side to every single one of us. Uh, and, and, and sometimes that, that change can be seen as a threat. Um, so one of the one of the major initial challenges w was for me to set my stall out, for want of a better phrase, and say this is what we are aiming for. We are aiming for the very best outcomes. We're aiming for the very best behaviour. We're aiming for the very best reputation, and we want to fill our school. You know, the old bums on seat protocol came into play. We had to make uh, ourselves look better to the outside world, uh, the people that are choosing us as their school. Uh, so that was my initial challenge, and uh, you know, you chip away at challenges like that. They're they're, they're not things that happen overnight. You need to secure a quite high level of buy-in from colleagues and from students and from parents and other interested parties. Um, but all the while, while making those changes, to make sure that the things that the school was already doing well, and there were very many of those things, could carry on at a really healthy pace. Um, so you're sort of spinning plates, you know, juggling balls, call it what you will. Um, and trying to make sure that the people in the organisation are all ready to head in the same direction because it's very, very difficult to, uh, uh, to, to, to make sustained and substantial change if, if, if people are not behind it. Um, so hopefully, you know, two and a half years down the line, we're beginning to see some significant fruits of those yeah, you've touched on some really interesting things there, actually. I mean, I know in, in the NHS, our vision is that we want to deliver high quality services for patients. Um, you know, ones that those patients will be happy to recommend to their loved ones. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the friends and family test that we have yeah. um, within the NHS, whereby patients, they will be asked a simple set of questions to assess whether they would recommend a particular hospital or an A&A &A unit based on their experience. So I'm, I'm guessing 
um, that in education you have that similar sort of aspiration in the sense that you would want this to be a school that, that parents would want to send their children that's 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 our prime focus at the moment because we are an undersubscribed school and in the in the past we've been a very very undersubscribed school already and not just as a result of the documentary and the and the, and the public profile that the schools enjoyed but also because results are getting better and the school is enjoying a better reputation academically parents are beginning to choose Thornhill Community Academy as it, as as their first choice uh, of placement, and they're eschewing, if you like, some of the uh, some of the schools just across the border in Wakefield and some of the other Jewsbury schools. So that's very very positive. But my prime directive, I suppose, is to make sure that this school remains as financially viable as possible. And the more students that come through the doors, the better quality provision I can I can give to everybody in the community. I do want this to be the school of choice in this area, and I want people from other catchment areas choosing to come here as well because at the end of the day that creates security for the staff uh, it brings solidity uh, and it, it you know it, it makes people want to carry on improving their own practice and the student body will become more confident and raise in self-esteem mm -hmm. and, and what do you think was the most important thing about the way in which you worked with your staff to improve the reputation of, of Thornhill I think I mean praise is a praise is a is a huge part of motivation uh, and inspiration and, and you know call it what you will you can read as many psychobabble books as you like at the end of the day people like to be told they are doing a good job so it's about focusing on what's going well it's about focusing on high quality teaching so when someone does something brilliant in a classroom or they've got something that you know could be shared with other colleagues then they should have the forum in which they can develop that and they they could share that. Uh, and then thanking them for doing it, writing them a letter, sending them a birthday card when it's their birthday, saying, actually, you're a really valued member of the team. Uh, we, you know, we have no hierarchy, apart from the pay hierarchy and the responsibility hierarchy. Everybody that works here is on an equal footing. You know, I expect everybody to call themselves by their first names. I expect everybody to be polite and courteous to each other, whether or not you're the head teacher or you, you are a cleaner or a lunchtime supervisor. You know, there should be no aspect of people being told what to do in an offensive in an offensive way that's that's not how I roll uh, and you know I've had very senior members of staff here who've treated other members of staff poorly which may be acceptable in some high-profile uh, lucrative business enterprises but it's not acceptable here we, where we are in the business of acting as positive role models for young people and if young people see us acting in that way they will revert to that type as well, and it's not what we want to achieve. So one of the, uh, we you can call it, a, it's not a challenge for me because that's, as I say, that is how I am. I want people to be courteous to each other. I don't want people to suffer fools. I don't want people uh, getting away with doing a very poor job or being lazy or not putting maximum effort in for the benefit of the kids or for the benefit of the institution. What I don't want them doing, however, is crying in the car on the way to work because they know that they're going to be put under such intense pressure that they will not be able to operate effectively. Now, and that differs from organisation to organisation, and I have worked in schools where that has been the pervading culture, and I found it difficult to sustain my own employment there because it's not something I believe in. But I do feel as well that we are attracting a very high calibre of professional into the school. And I think that is because of the culture that people have seen being generated here. And not just by me, you know, but by professionals across the spectrum. And I think it's absolutely essential that people understand how they are going to be treated if they come and work in this organisation. Yeah, that, that's really, really interesting, Johnny, just, you know, creating a shared culture and how you've managed to engage with your workforce to develop yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And it sounds as if it's been a, a really positive experience. Thus far, mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've a long way to go and everybody that joins the organisation in a new role or, um, you know, from outside 
has to learn to deal with the culture that 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 that, that pervades here. Um, and it, you know, some some people find it more difficult than others. Some people are used to a different type of environment, and it's about acclimatization. And uh, you know, I'm not going to ever apologize for the way I operate. You know, we don't always get it right. We don't always act in the most mature or adult way. But that's generally because of the things that are going on, which mean that, you know, we have to react and knee jerk, if you wish. But um, the, the general consensus is that people are treated here fairly and people are only put under pressure if they're underperforming or not doing the job that they're paid to do. One of the other things uh, from watching your show that was quite interesting, I also believe that you have a student parliament yeah, here at, yeah. at Thornhill. And I thought that that was quite interesting. Um, and I was wondering, you know, how it, important it is to you to listen to the, the views of, of your students and how that impacts on your work. Well, as I said earlier, you know, everybody that belongs to this organisation, and that's adults and young people, have, have the right to representation. They have the right to be listened to. Um, we, we must never confuse student parliament making decisions that are definitely going to happen, you know, because often, uh, and many schools do have parliaments of some description or student voice or student council that, that go under very many guises and, and, and descriptions. Uh, you know, the first thing you ask students, you know, in an ideal world, what would you like? Every single one of them would say a swimming pool, you know. Um, I haven't got five million quid just to spend on a swimming pool. So it's about being realistic. But what, what we try and do is we don't talk to our students as much about how we can improve the physical environment because we have plans for that and we know, you know, how we could make the physical environment better. I mean, it couldn't get a lot worse, to be fair. You know, it's a, it's a pretty dank place. But we work very, very hard trying to beautify it, trying to make it an appropriate, purposeful atmosphere. But what we do talk to the kids about is how their experience of education can be improved. So less the physical environment and, and more the emotional environment, if you like, uh, how they would like to be treated, how they think lessons should be conducted, how they think staff should be with them, what they think the relationship between staff and students ought to look like. So I've, I very much believe, uh, as do the vast majority of staff here, in giving people responsibility because generally if you give them responsibility, they will, they will rise to the challenge. And I think, I think that's one of the important things. So our student voice, our academy parliament, is quite a large body. And, you know, some members are more effective than others. You know, it's, a, it's an additional pressure on top of all the work, academic and, and uh, an extracurricular that the students have to do. But they, you know, they take, it, they take the responsibility very seriously. Yeah, it sounds like a really good way of, of getting the patient, um, not the patient, the student voice here. Some of them are very patient, um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, there's a real parallel, I yeah. suppose, between, you know, how we incorporate the patient's voice, um, you know, so that the NHS um, is providing the service that patients want. I think, yeah, I think that's correct. And, I mean, you can fall into the trap of seeking people's views, uh, but generally, I mean, it's pretty common knowledge, isn't it, that if you have surveys, the people that are more likely to fill them in are the ones that have got issues that they want to discuss. And therefore, you know, you're, you're, uh, any grades that they might give you might be low down in the pecking order because they've had a poor experience. You know, in a hospital, they may, they may feel that they've had poor clinical care. Uh, in a school, they may think that their child's been bullied and the school's not done anything about it. Those are the people that are most likely to respond to these missives saying, please tell us what you think. What we've done is we've tried to go out to students and ask them routinely and regularly what could be improved. And a lot of them come back and say, not a lot could be improved. We think you're doing a fabulous job. I think that we learn well here. I think that disruption is 
is is kept to a minimum and where, where students are disruptive they are dealt with or removed so that they don't impact on the learning of others and I suppose it's like going into a hospital you know you've got a man coughing and fighting for his life in one bed some people get a bit put off by it and they don't realize that in that clinical environment there's not a great deal you can do about that but some people might complain. The same applies in a, in a school setting. You know, a parent will always have something to say if they don't feel that their child is getting the fair crack of the whip and therefore the school has done nothing about it. Often the school's done nothing about it because it's not been made aware of the problem. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the crucial aspects. But we go to the students directly before it even hits the parents so that the kids can say en masse and we survey them, they tick boxes, they give us scores, you know, we, we self-evaluation by our, you know, by our, our customers at the end of the day, our service users, call them what you will. And they're telling us that they think we're doing a good job. But they also give us pointers as we don't think you're doing as good a job at that as you are of all the other things. So can we all have a look at that? And we go away and play with that. And then we talk to them. And then they often, you know, they talk to the governors who are effectively the trustees, the, the, the board of directors. Uh, and uh, and they question us about that then. They say, hang on a minute, the kids have told you this and what, the, what on earth have you done about it? I don't see any evidence. Well, we are. We're working on this. We're working on that. Brilliant. So we have a three-way, sort of a triangulated process of consultation. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's becoming more and more important because people have expectations of schools, just like they do of other public sector organisations and bodies. And uh, we have a responsibility to deliver, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And it, it sounds like you really have, you know, sort of lived up to that challenge of, of driving up standards. So I suppose <clears throat> the killer question for me would be, what piece of advice would you give to the NHS, um, you know, when we're faced with driving up standards? What do you think is the key thing? That I mean, driving up standards, meeting targets, you know, hitting benchmarks, it's always going to be a stressful experience. And, you know, a lot of these journeys, shall we say, are not overnight journeys. You know, it's not getting onto the ferry, is it? It's it's staying on a long-haul flight, really is. Marathon, not a sprint, call it what you will. You can come out with all those jocular phrases. I think what's important is that um, any organisation makes sure its vision and makes sure its values are clearly communicated so people know exactly where they stand. People working for an organisation, colleagues in any organisation, should expect... Uh, to be treated in, an, in, in, in a mature, responsible and courteous way. But also, you know, they've got job descriptions just like every member of staff here has. They should be able to meet those job descriptions daily. They should not be afraid to speak out if they need support. They should not be afraid to admit that they're finding something difficult because often people in a management position have so many people working alongside them or under them that they can't necessarily spot the signs and I think it is absolutely essential that people holler when they are flailing because that's the best way that leaders and managers can actually support them to be more effective in their job. I don't believe for a second that more than one percent of the working population in public sector organisations don't actually want to do well in their work and sometimes it's dead easy to get into a downward spiral where you feel you've been trodden on or you feel that somebody's treated you unfairly or poorly or maybe you know to an extent bullied you in inverted commas into doing something that you don't want to do and often that can be the trigger point for really ineffective performance now you know I dare say over the past couple of years as a head teacher I've upset a few people you know I, I don't go out of my way to upset people but sometimes that necessary message has to be passed across it's how people bounce back and show that demonstrate that they are resilient to, to what is happening and come, you know, if they can meet, make me eat my words or they can say, I'm going to show you sunshine, that pleases me because it means that it, they're passionate about what they do. 
teaching just like nursing and just you know just like working in hospitals is is a vocation you know it's you know the vast majority of people working in hospitals and schools are not after the cash there are very few people in both those organizations that are making an absolute packet of cash uh, and the, you know so the same applies in schools people do it because they want to do it i have yet to meet a teacher who doesn't like children mm-hmm. and the problem is that some of them don't demonstrate that they like children uh, and sometimes the relationship with the kids suffers. So I think it's about satisfying everybody. You need to satisfy the people that are leading and managing you. You need to satisfy your clients, your students, your patients or whatever. But you also need to satisfy the needs of society at large to have respect for the organisations. OK, that, that's brilliant. That's that's really interesting. Um, I mean, one of my next questions, I suppose, um, I think we just touched on it on briefly there, uh, was the importance of having a core set of values at the heart of what you do. So with the NHS, we have a core set of values in the form of the NHS constitution. Mm-hmm. So that sets out what patients, the public staff can expect the NHS to deliver. Um, we also, in addition to that, I don't know if you're aware of the six C's that we have. So they outline things like compassion, care, commitment, courage. These are the things that we want people who are working in the NHS to live and breathe. Um, and we want our staff to really embrace these mm-hmm. values. So I suppose the first question for you would be, at, at Thornhill, do you have a, a core set of values? Um, and why are these important to you, if, if you do have? We do have a core set of values. Uh we have a vision, we have values, we have an ethos and we have objectives, just like any business uh, should have. Uh, mission statement, call it what you will. Our values are very simple. You've got, as I say, you've got the six C's. We, we've got Thornhill together, where the initial letters uh, of all the words spell together. So we have tolerance, openness, generosity, and I'm being tested now, equality, uh, trust, humility, emotional intelligence and resilience. And people think, oh, they're fabulous values. Uh, the students really need to learn all those things because that will prepare them for life. What I suppose is more ironic uh, in a school is that the uh, the values apply more to the adults that are working in our organisations because what I want adults to do is demonstrate that they have all those uh, attributes in spades so that they can act as effective role models for the young people. And how um, do you go about getting your staff on board with those those values so they really live them, they really breathe them? Well, I mean, you have greater success with some colleagues than others, and for some it's, you know, oh, we have a set of values, whoopee-doo. Um, they're the people that probably can't remember what they are, uh, despite the number of times that they may have been told what they are and what they represent. You know, we don't simply say these are our, these are our I can't even remember how many words, that's eight, that's eight words, isn't it, together? I'm, I'm not good at counting. Um you know, some people can recite all eight of them. Well, that's fabulous. But, you know, what does humility mean? No, I'm not so sure what it means. Well, it's not a lot of good then, really, is it? Because you, you're not going to be able to live and breathe that principle or that value if, if you don't actually know what it means. So we, we've articulated what we expect, what humility is. You know, when things go really well, we are humble about it. We, we don't start singing and dancing about it and saying how wonderful we are. What we do is say, let that be the benchmark of any success. Let's try and build on that. Uh, the same with emotional intelligence. You know, I, we don't have a shouty culture here. The kids may shout, we tell them not to. Some staff may shout, we ask them not to because we are supposed to be role models. Shouting shows that you've lost your temper. It is not a mark of authority. It's just a mark, in my opinion, largely it's a mark of weakness. And that is coming from someone who for the first five years of his teaching career was a head of shouting, okay? I used to shout all the time because I thought it would get what I wanted. You learn very quickly that that's not how it works. That... Um, 
the vast majority of students get shouted at at home. And what we need to do is replicate a very safe environment for them. Um, but going back to the original question, uh, it's not necessarily difficult to establish the values. Someone said to me a long, long time ago, and I've always remembered it, if you have to have your values printed out on a little key fob or written on the back of a cup all the time for people, they're probably not your values. Mm -hmm. Values are almost implicit. They're almost subconscious. People should, you know, I should be able to walk around and say, tell us what we stand for here. And it's so much embedded within your organisation exactly. that it's That's where we, we are wanting obvious. to aim. We're not there yet because obviously we have a lot of people working here we have a lot of students here that we want to uh, we want to encourage to embrace those principles and values as well. But what I'd, I, I'm not interested whether a student can come to me and, and say uh, tolerance, openness, generosity, equality, trust, humility. What I want is them to be able to say, no, no. So what have you done today that's shown that you're open or generous or, you know, and it's tiny little things that society seems to overlook these days. And they are back to basics. They are, you know, opening doors open for people, saying good morning, engaging with them, smiling. Because I have a big thing about smiling. You know, if people don't smile, then they're obviously not having a, a good time. I should I should be able to walk down a corridor and a child should be able to smile at me. I should know that things are going well. And if they're not smiling, I will stop and I'll say, why are you not smiling? What's going wrong today? And they'll go, nothing's going wrong. Well, smile then, miserable. And they'll go, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can have the banter with them like that. And the same with staff, you know. Staff get stressed. Staff are under a lot of pressure, you know, um, the futures of a large number of children depends on the success and the effectiveness of a member of staff. And sometimes they feel it. They may have things going on at home. They may have other pressures. They may have, you know, they might have elderly relatives, which who they're looking after. Their kids may be playing up. They may have issues at, at, at their children's school, yet they sort of put it in the put it in the luggage rack when they come into school and they need to forget all about it. And it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, so, yes, we have those values, but I also have a responsibility as an employer to make sure that my staff are well looked after so that they can then go on and give the very best to the children. And I, I suppose that's really interesting because, you know, similar to yourselves, I think, you know, the NHS is a very pressured working environment at the moment. You know, we're under quite a lot of scrutiny, as I'm sure you'll have seen in the press. We've had the Francis report and the subsequent reviews that came out of that. Uh, so we're looking at everything from how we improve patient safety to reducing bureaucracy yeah. to how we're making sure our healthcare assistants are properly equipped to deliver the best support um, and care to patients that they can. Um, we've also got quite a, a rigorous system of inspection. Um, Tell me you about know, it. So the CQC <laughs> carry out inspections to mm -hmm. make sure that the, the services, hospitals, GP surgeries, care homes are providing are safe and that they meet the, the needs of people. So, you know, I think sometimes that level of scrutiny can make people feel quite threatened and, too right. um, too right you know, have can. a negative yeah. impact yeah. on morale. Um, and create a culture that's you know defensive rather than open, which is what you're trying to create. Now, obviously, within education, you've got offset, yeah. um, so you're subject to those same sort of inspections. So, as a headmaster, how do you work with your staff during times of inspection um, to make sure that people don't feel threatened, and if improvements or changes are suggested, that that staff feel able to make those. Um, well, two points I'd make on that. I've not led this school through an Austin inspection as yet because the school was good when it was last inspected in 2010 and as a corollary of that, we get four years minimum before they come back and look at us again. You know, we're due any time. Mm -hmm. right, this afternoon, I don't know. Mm -hmm. we, get, we get the phone call the day before at lunchtime and they'll be in for two days the following day. Um, 
But what we what we do to prepare staff to say, look, I, I try and tell them pretty much we need to meet the requirements of Ofsted. Ofsted it, it's relatively arbitrary, but it's getting better. It's getting better in terms of being an accurate reflection of how effective a school is. Uh, and it's becoming less inconsistent in terms of the individuals that come in and doing the inspections. The other parallel I would draw is uh, hospitals and schools. You know, in a school, you know, touch wood, it isn't a matter of life and death. We are not talking about we are not talking about things that are quite so serious. Um, so, you know, a school that's placed in special measures, for example, nobody's going to die. Okay, a hospital that is performing really really badly or is placed in special measures because one aspect of his patient care or whatever is damaging is, is is far more heinous and far more concerning but it still puts pressure on staff mm -hmm. you know staff still feel pressure as much as i can stand up in front of my staff in a briefing and say look when off they come they're going to be looking at this they're going to be looking at this they're going to be looking at this but you know all that guys you know what they're going to be looking at because you've had it rammed down your throats ad nauseum until you can't take any more. Please don't worry about it. Just be yourselves. Can't be yourselves. Running around, bang, 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 hitting the hitting the ceilings, bouncing off the walls. Oh my God! Ofsted are coming. Don't worry about it. Not bothered. Mm -hmm. And I I try and show them that I'm not stressed or I'm not overly concerned. There's no reason for us to be overly concerned. We'll I think, touch wood, we'll be all right when Ofsted come in. We know we're good. We know we're getting better. The frameworks have changed. It's more difficult to be a good school now and we might not quite make it. But hey-ho, you know, we'll move on and we will be better and better and better. And that's my commitment to my staff. If I show that I'm not rocking and reeling, then hopefully they'll say, he's either completely naive and he doesn't know what's going to hit him or he's not worried at all. And if he's not worried and he knows his onions because he's the head and the rest of SLT actually, they're not worried either. We must be okay here, so let's just be ourselves. We know we're good in the classroom. We know we're outstanding in the classroom sometimes. We know our results are getting better and better. We know the quality of the students that we're getting is better and better. We know they're making more progress. We know outcomes are getting better. Actually, there is nothing to worry about. I'll still panic when the inspector walks into the back of my classroom and goes, and, and glares at you across a sea of faces. But, you know, we're professionals and we're used to working under pressure, so I think it's really, really important. But if I if I set the tone of Ofsted are coming tomorrow, we are in such a hole here. All hands to the pump. School's open till midnight, right, do what you want. Photocopy this, photocopy that, blah, get this sorted, go home and do all your... People are going to be in a blind panic. If I do that, you know, we may as well just bring them in and tell us to put them into special measures because the, the, the staff will be on the floor. Um, and I have a responsibility to their well-being and their professionalism. That, thanks, Joe. That that was really interesting. I think it it leads quite nicely onto onto the next thing I was going to ask, which which was about health and well-being. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, from watching your show, I remember quite a poignant moment actually when your maths teacher was really struggling uh, with ill health, but he yeah. would not he seek. Was put, he was putting it onto the cameras. Yeah, <laughs> he he just wouldn't go to the hospital and and seek help. Eventually, I, I know you did manage to persuade him. Yeah. Um, and you know he he went and and got some advice. Now, obviously, within the NHS, health and well-being, it's it's paramount to us delivering a, a good service. And the the workforce, as I've said, is the most important asset that that we have. Um, and staff health and well-being is very important to us. So I was wondering what you do uh, within Thornhill to ensure the the health and well-being of of your staff and promote a healthy work-life balance. I mean, that was the point I would make about you know, having a healthy uh, staff who, who've got good well-being it is about the work-life balance. We prefer, we prefer to call it here life-work balance because unless I'm very much mistaken, we work to live rather than live to work. Um, 
depending on your outlook and depending on your current circumstances, it, it, you know, some people do live to work uh, because they, they feel that there's nothing else in their life. But I mean, I know I don't do that. And I, I remember when I arrived here, um, my predecessor had been known, I think he was a single man um, and, and, and he was retiring uh, when I took over. And uh, I think he was here a lot. I think he was here late. And I think for him, it was obviously some form of catharsis. Now, I don't know that for a fact. I'm only reading things into the situation. I am very different. I don't like to be here at eight o'clock in the night. I have a family. I've got young children who it'd be quite nice to see every now and again. And they miss me because they tell me when they ring me at seven saying, Daddy, you're not home yet. And I think it's important that I, again, set an example of how I expect people to be. What I do not want is people grinding themselves into the ground uh, four weeks into a half term with three weeks left and then falling ill because they're exhausted, they're tired, they're frustrated, you know, they're aching, they're starting with a cold, mm -hmm. which then turns into flu-like symptoms, which then remarkably turns into influenza. The number of members of staff that get influenza in schools is remarkable. I, I think it's more than the actual total number of people in the whole of the world that actually have influenza. They've just got a cold at the end of the day, but it makes them feel run down and it makes them feel down and depressed. Uh, and they end up taking a lot of time off, you know. So I think it's important that people have a healthy balance between their professional and their personal lives. They should, however well they are here, be looked after properly, uh, courteously, respectfully, but also treated like very valuable assets, just as you would the most expensive piece of machinery that you've got in school. Um, you know, staff absence is always an issue in any organisation. Um, you know, staff shouldn't feel that they can't ring in sick. Automatically, you feel that you're going to be put under massive, massive pressure if you ring in sick because you genuinely don't feel very well. And you've got a dragon on the other end of the phone saying, what do you mean you don't feel? Get yourself in. What's up with you? I think that's counterproductive. I think what it's showing is that there is suspicion within the organisation of people's motives for taking time off. Now we know that people always knock. You know, people can't be bothered today. I'm not going in. Now, fortunately, we don't really have that here. Uh, and I think that is testament to the culture that we've created. If you're genuinely ill, I genuinely don't want you here because you're not, you're not going to do any good and you're going to get more ill. And you may pass your germs on. And, and to be honest, there are enough germs knocking around in a school without people passing any more on. Um, but people feel valued if you ask them, you know. But it comes down to really tiny things in a school, you know. Uh, if we have a parents' evening, you know, staff are going to be staying until 8, 9 o'clock on an evening, potentially won't get time to go home and then come back out. So what do you do? You put a nice buffet, a puff, a buffet tea on for people to help themselves. It's dead simple. It barely costs any money whatsoever, but it... it, it, it the, the stock of the school and the stock of leadership in the school goes up so massively. Oh, that's a really nice gesture. All those sorts of things, you know, that are dead simple things like, you know, how often do people go to the dry cleaners? You know, at the end of the day, I've been to the dry cleaners, I think, twice in my entire life. But if you have uh, a mobile dry cleaning van that comes and collects things every Friday to be brought back on the Tuesday the following week, it's just something else that staff don't have to worry about. And they think, do you know, they treat us really well there. Uh, medicine collections, you know, prescription collections from the chemist, get them dropped off. They're tiny little things that staff place a lot of value in because it's it's those it's those small gestures that people appreciate. Um, obviously, we also have underemployment law and employee health care, obviously, which we buy into, which is an extremely essential service. If people are genuinely medically ill or they've got 
you know, they've got issues with depression or they've got issues with all that sort of thing. We can help them through that as well. We can make referrals to health professionals, but we can also give them the support that they need. You know, if somebody takes three or four days off over a six month period, you know, we call them in and we say, look, can we just have a talk about these patterns because you're hitting a trigger. We need to make sure there's nothing that we're missing in terms of supporting you. And by having those conversations, often you find out things that you wouldn't find out in the normal course of, of events. Like they may have a, an underlying condition that you weren't aware of. Mm -hmm. You say, well, I'm glad now we understand the reason that you're not here all the time. Um, but we need to put that right because, you know, when somebody's, when somebody's not standing in front of their class, the kids are not getting the benefit of their wisdom and they're missing out effectively because you have to use supply or I suppose you call them bank staff, don't you, in the, in the NHS. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we want our permanent staff in front of our kids because they're the people that we trust. They're the people that we recruited to be in front of them. Asset. They are our single most important asset in, in this organisation. Um, and our kids deserve to have them in front of them. Uh, so staff, staff well-being, staff happiness is extremely important to me. Well, that's great, Johnny. I, I think you've certainly given us lots of food for thought there, um, and there's been some really interesting parallels between healthcare and education, and I hope that our listeners have found that really interesting today. I mean, I'd be really interested to hear people's views and opinions, so, you know, if any of our listeners out there want to either drop me an email or send me a tweet, then please do feel free to get in touch. Email address is lisa.aptkin at nhsemployers.org or you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at nhse underscore lisa and you can use the hashtag thinkbrighter to get involved in the debate about how we think brighter across the NHS. Thank you very much, Johnny. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs>